Well, I want to introduce three words to you today, probably one of which you hardly ever use, but I want to put these up on the screen and just take a minute and talk about them. Now, this is what I do when I get ready to preach, okay? I want to show you this because we're going to look today at a passage of Scripture that is very, very familiar, maybe one of the most familiar in all the Bible. And the problem with walking through a familiar passage is people's minds tend to drift. They think, I already know this story. That's not what we want to do. So when we come to the Bible, the first thing that we do, theologians call this exegesis. Now that that doesn't really matter you know that word, but it's important you know what it means. It means that we are going to expose the meaning of the passage. It's like we're going to take a giant light and we're going to shine it on the passage and expose the meaning. God had a meaning when he wrote Matthew 1, 18-25, and we're going to expose it today. We don't get to put our own ideas into the Bible, what they mean. God wrote it. God's Spirit inspired people to write it, and it has a meaning, and our job is to find it through the hard work of exegesis, exposing the meaning, and we will do that together. Now, once we understand the meaning, we'll step forward and we will look at the person of God. We're going to do all this today, okay? We're going to understand, okay, what is this passage telling us about God? That's what theology means, the study of God. So what does our passage tell us about God? And then we're going to apply that to our lives. Now I want you to know, I... Walk this walk, and if you're a follower of Christ, you should too every day. This isn't for pastors. You may not use these words, but you should be doing this in your life every single day. The Bible is practical. The Bible makes a difference. Because see, here's what the bulk of, of Christians think. Now, not you, I trust, but the bulk of Christians believe that the Bible is primarily for children and old people. We pull it out at the hospital and funerals. And other than that, it really doesn't make much of a difference in my life. That's where most of us go. We come here on Sunday morning, and okay, pastor, go ahead and talk about the Bible. But tomorrow, this word, when you're in God's word and God is in you, it makes a practical difference in your life every day. I wrote down some things that... that This week, I I felt like God's word was making a practical difference in my life. I wrote them down here. How I respond to bad drivers. My coworkers. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, My wife's face when I said something that hurt her. God's word. How I parent, how I marry, how I grow old. How I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I spend my energy, who I live for, what I live for, what I encourage other people who are following with me to live for. God's word is practical and real, and he wants to interact with you. I've got four children, four lovely children. And at different times, some of them have had to leave home for maybe a couple of days or weeks or even years. And as a father, when your children are away, 
wow, you want to talk to them. And when they come and visit or you go visit them, it's so sweet. Listen, that is your heavenly father towards you. So when we look at Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, go ahead and find that in your Bible if you would. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're walking through this. We just started a study, and, and if you want to join with us, that'd be great. So we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Matthew together and, and seeing God's plan for, for really his, his kingdom and, and sending his king into the world. And we're going to read this passage just a minute, and it's, it seems very, very familiar but I want to warn you against warn you against missing the miracle. Let's read it. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her It's from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Close quote. Angel's done. Now Matthew's going to add some detail to us to help us understand what's happening here. All this took place, Matthew wrote, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It's Isaiah. Behold, the prophet said 700 years prior, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Matthew picks the narrative up in verse number 24, and he says, When Jesus woke, I'm sorry, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the Gospel of Matthew, we're, we're diving into some familiar territory here. And, and I want us to see what God intends for us to see here. I want us to see the, the, the important part of this passage, the theology, the truth about God. You know, we, we, look, for, we look for miraculous things. We look for things that wow us. A couple years ago, my wife and I... Um, we were preparing to go on a backpacking trip. And so we thought, well, we're going to need to buy some gear for this. So we went down to the REI store down in outside the Washington metro area, Washington, D.C. area, um, REI, Recreation Equipment Incorporated, I think, okay? And it had this deal, sweet deal. If you join their club, if you become a member of their club, okay, what happens is once a year, They have what they call their garage sale. Here's what it is. Anybody who buys something through that year and you return it, because see, the thing about REI is you can buy a pair of shoes and use them for a year, and if you don't like them, take them back. Pretty cool. For a year. So they store all this stuff in their garage. And so once a year, they allow all their members, that's me, 
to come to their garage sale and buy things, just pennies on the dollars, right? I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a kayak, and I'm going to get a bunch of gear, and I had this, like, special, like, stove that I wanted to buy for my backpack equipment. I mean, I just had all these things in mind. And so we traveled down there, New Year's Day, bright and early. Before the sun comes up, we were riding down the road to Washington, D.C. And we get there. Park. Anybody been, has anybody been to one of these? Long line. Let me tell you. Huge line of people. It's cold. It's like 30 degrees, which to me is like negative 30, okay? I do not deal well with cold. So there we are, bounded, bounded up in coats and jacks and everything, walking in line, doing the cattle walk, you know? Slowly moving in line. And it's horrible what they do. I mean, they're just cruel because your line goes all the way on the side of this building. You're like, oh, we're almost there. Almost there, almost there. And you get to the corner. You turn the corner, and guess what? There's a stinking line down the other side of the building. That's right. So then you walk down that three times. Three times it took us around the edge of that building. And it was a big building. We waited for two hours in the cold to just get inside. But we pressed on. You'd have been so proud of us. We finally get into the garage. And I mean, I just, I have huge visions of what's going to happen, right? I mean, it's going to just, you know, I mean, we're bringing trucks, U-Haul trucks for all the gear that I'm going to buy. We get in there. I'll spare you all the details. What a joke. I mean, basically, it was like everything was like 10% off, you know? I mean, it's practically the same price. I think they marked it all up and just took 10% off. I had to buy something. So I find this stupid little backpack that I didn't really need, like a little kid's backpack, okay? And I got it for like $10 off of this $90 backpack. What a waste. You know how many times I've used that thing? Yeah, I brought it home. That's it, okay? To my storage room. Waste of time. You know, we're always looking for the deal. For the miracle. For the thing that will blow our minds. It's here, folks. It's here. It is in this passage. It will blow your mind. Let's start into it. Verse 18. We're going to see that, that we, we are looking at a narrative that is showing us the son of Joseph, the son of God. The son of Joseph, the son of God. Verse number 18 starts out and says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And now we're going to have the account of how Jesus entered the world. And you know it well. You know it well. Charlie Brown and others have told us this story for years, right? We know this story. Oh, but there's so much here. Matthew is writing to make a very, very important point. And I want to just even begin to show you in the first couple words what that point is. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ. See that? Turn back a page to Matthew 1.1. Okay? Let me show you a little, let me give you a little bit of a Greek lesson here. In Matthew 1.1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now see that word genealogy? That's the English translation of the Greek words. You know what a genealogy is, right? Father gives birth, gives birth, gives birth. That's genealogy. Well, in Matthew 1.18, the exact same word is used in that verse, but here it's translated birth. Birth. 
So where it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, Matthew is making a point. He is using the exact same word. A rare word. He's using this word. And here's what he's saying. Matthew 1.1, you know what this last week, we saw the genealogy of Jesus. We saw that Jesus descended from human beings, starting with Abraham, through David, to Joseph, married Mary, and then we have Jesus. He descended from human beings. But now what Matthew is doing in 118 is saying, oh, hold on. Hold on. The birth of Jesus took place like this from Abraham all the way down. But it also took place like this. The Son of God. Verses 1 through 17 are Jesus as human with a father and a grandfather and a mother and a grandmother. He's human. But verses 18 through 25 is saying he is God. And that's the miracle of the Christmas narrative. That's it. That God became a man. That God is fully God and fully man. He is son of Joseph and son of God. Let that sit on your shoulder for a while and feel the weight of this. The ancestry of Jesus in 1 through 17 demonstrated that Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. And we said that means that we all sit down as equals. Remember the nasty people and his ancestry? Remember all that? We saw it last week. We all sit down as equals. In Jesus' genealogy are prostitutes and kings and moral people and immoral people and men and women. They're all there. He's a human come to reach humans like us. But he is also God. And Matthew is trying to make that point very strongly, very strongly here, using the same words to draw us to this truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Let's keep going. So back to our passage. Now, what is getting ready to happen to Joseph here is is quite honestly life-changing, okay? I mean, this was, this was difficult for a man to accept. Look at verse number 18. When his mother Mary, Jesus' mother Mary, not Joseph, but when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, quite honestly, we don't know a whole lot about Mary. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. What we know about them is basically in this passage and a few chapters in Luke. We know Mary was at the cross, and Mary interacted with Jesus occasionally in the gospel narrative. But we don't really know much about Mary, and we don't really know much about Jesus. Or, I'm sorry, Joseph. But we know a great deal about betrothal. Let's talk about what it means to be betrothed. It says here that Mary had been betrothed to, G- to Joseph. Now, that is not an engagement. That's not what that is. Let me walk through this. Some of your dads might like this idea. A betrothal was an arranged marriage. Sorry, ladies. It's just, that's the culture. That's the culture. Here's what would happen. A, a young man who had some means, he, he had some means of providing for himself, okay? That's why, tip, that's why most of us believe that Joseph was a little bit older because he was able to be married. So a, a man who has a career and he has some means of providing for himself, approaches a father and says that he would like to marry his daughter. The father, uh, he assigns a bridal price for his daughter. 
It could be an amount of money, say in coinage. It could be in animals or, or in land rights. It, it, it was up to the father. He would, he would establish a price, the bridal price, for his daughter. And then he and this potential groom would negotiate over this. And once the deal is done, once the handshake occurs, the community knows a betrothal has been placed in this agreement. And now, in this case, Joseph and Mary are legally bound. They would be called husband and wife. But Joseph leaves for anywhere from 6 to 12 months. Now that period of separation is primarily, really exclusively, to establish that this young lady, who her father may have claimed had never been with a man, truly was a virgin, and not with child. That's what this is all about. You have to understand, this culture, this hyper-judgmental, shame-filled culture was very, very hard on people. And so that's the environment that we're living in. Joseph finds out that Mary is with child. Look at verse number 18. He's betrothed before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph at this point does not know this. He does not know that this is the Holy Spirit. Mary does. Gabriel had come to Mary, the angel Gabriel, but nobody come to Joseph at this point. And so it says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, an unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph had one of three options. Here's what he could do. Here's what he could do when he found out that his bride-to-be was pregnant. He had one of three options. Number one, marry her. He could marry her. That would be an admittance to the community that is driven by shame. Not forgiveness, not guilt, but shame. That's an admittance to the the community that he was the father and they were in public sin and they would be married. That's one option. Second option. He could call for her to be shamed in the community. He could say, she's been unfaithful to me. She has broken the marriage vow. There would then be sort of like a community trial. She would be found guilty because she's pregnant. And then the bridal price would be returned to Joseph. That's option number two. By the law, she could have been stoned. By the law, the interpretation of the law. There's no record of any woman being stoned for that, by the way, but she could have been. The third option is the option that Joseph went with, and that was to divorce her quietly. Let me tell you what that means. That means he goes to the father, and he says, I'm not going to marry her, but I'm not going to publicly shame her. And what that is is saying, so you can keep the bridal price. See what Joseph is doing here. He's a good man. He's a good man. Mary's a good gal. Mary had not been with a man. God appreciates personal holiness. He calls us to personal holiness. These are good people. But that's not the point of this story. That's not the point of this narrative. This narrative is not calling you to be like Joseph or to be like Mary. No, 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 no. Don't 
Don't misunderstand scripture. This is not a moral call. This isn't some little nursery rhyme that we read it to you and say, now let's go be good boys and girls. That is not what this is about. So what is it about? Well, let's go to the words of the angel, shall we? So this angel now is going to come to him, and the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now this is getting very close to what we need to hear today. The angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. Now, what is, that, what is that hearkening back to? That is hearkening back to what we saw in the genealogy last week. This is not saying, hey, Joseph, you're a really good guy. You're a really good guy. After all, you're a son of David. That's not what this is. This is not reminding Joseph of how awesome he is. This is reminding Joseph how awesome God is. That's what that son of David is about. Go forward to that next slide for me, to Isaiah chapter 11. You see... These people understood what their nation had undergone. This is in Isaiah chapter 11. It's a great passage of scripture. And it's revealing to us what is happening in the world that Joseph is living in. They had been in hundreds of years of silence. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean that God wasn't just not speaking to them. There was no audible voice from God. It means the prophets weren't even speaking to them. Nobody is speaking to the people of Israel. The, the, the heavens are silent. Silent. They had passages like this one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What is a stump? There's a stump at my house because last year a tree blew down in my yard. I was supposed to trim that stupid flowering pear. I just never got around to it, you know. And then the wind came, too many limbs, and it blew right down. So what do you do? Well, here's what I did. Talked to my dad. He said, okay, go out there and cut that stump down to the ground. I did it. He said, now, take your chainsaw. Listen to this, guys and ladies. If you have a tree falling, here's what you do. Take your chainsaw. Stand on top of that, that trunk, okay? And take your chain and plunge that thing down into that stump all the way on 18 inches, and then pull it out. Be careful when you do this, okay? If you don't run a change pull, call me. I'll come over and help you do it, okay? Then turn the other way and do the same thing. Down into that stump. So now what I've got is, you can imagine like a plus sign. 18 inches deep down into that trunk. Why? I want to kill it. I want to kill that stump. Water fills up that little hole. Bugs climb down in there. And what do they do? They eat it away. And so the stump dies. Israel and their eyes had died. They'd been enslaved to the Babylonians, to the Medes, to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. They'd been enslaved. And they had this reminder. A stump. The stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, this is it. Son of David, God's going to fulfill his word. God's not silent anymore. God is coming to the earth. So go back to our passage. Look what the, look what the angel fills Joseph in on. I mean, what, what, he just fills him in on so many details here. And he gives him several commands. He says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. 
What's he afraid of? He's afraid of the public shame. He's afraid to take this woman. He doesn't know her background. He doesn't know her morality. And now she will be his wife. He's afraid of that. He's afraid of losing money. Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. Self-sacrifice. This is what husbands do. To take her as his wife, this is a self-sacrifice call. I'll put my own needs aside and you will be priority. Raise this son. It's implied here. There is a son and you will raise him. You will invest in this boy who's not yours. He is sent by the Holy Spirit, the angel said. This all happened through the Holy Spirit. What? Conceived by the... Have you heard the Christmas narrative so many times that you've forgotten or missed what that means? He says his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is from the Hebrew Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. For centuries, people had named their child Joshua because one day Yahweh will come and save us. And now the angel says, Joseph, this is the moment. And he will not just save his people. He will save his people from their sins. Huge call here to Joseph. Matthew adds in verse number 22 that this is a, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. And Joseph very likely knew this. He knew what God had promised. He knew that a, a virgin would conceive. He knew this from Isaiah 7. This cannot be. And he says, he will be called Emmanuel. Elohim with us. God, creator God with us. So what do we learn from this? We don't learn to be like Joseph. We don't learn to be like Mary. Listen, Joseph and Mary were poor. They were displaced. They were immigrants. But this passage does not mean that we go and serve poor people or immigrant people or displaced people. That's not what this passage means. I can go other places to show you that, but not here. We cannot allow ourselves to give this a lesser meaning than what it is. Mary was a good gal. Joseph was a good guy. But this passage does not mean you go be a good guy and a good gal. That's not what this means. We cannot allow ourselves to make this mean less than what it means. We have to expose the real meaning. And here's the real meaning. Here's what it is. Put it up on the screen for me. It is the miraculous conception. It is the miracle of the conception, often called the virgin birth, but in reality, the miracle happened nine months before the birth, right? I mean, once this happened, the birth was kind of automatic. There was nothing nothing miraculous about that moment. The miracle happened at conception. Now, this is a big deal. And you might be tempted to be like, eh, you know, what's the big deal with miraculous conception, virgin birth? No big deal. Okay. Okay. Let me walk you back into the very recent Christian history. In the mid-1800s, a man by the name of Darwin wrote a book, The Origin of the Species. And in that book, Darwin and others began propagating an idea that man wasn't created, man evolved. And for 50 years, this was taught in the universities, and this was taught in the schools, and this was taught other places. But then it infected the religious people, the pastors, the clergy. And so in the early 20th century, there was a battle going on 
between true Christian believers and modernism. Here's what modernism was. Modernism was a belief that there could be no miracles that cannot be explained by science. It was rooted in secularism, rationalism, materialism. This whole idea that if there is something here, we should be able to explain it. And so the religious people of the day, the people that loved God and loved his word, said, we can't stand for this. We cannot stand for this. And so they established five fundamentals. Five fundamentals. This is the true meaning of fundamentalism. I know that's not what they refer to anymore on CNN and Fox News. A fundamentalist is somebody that will blow up a building. But the true meaning of fundamentalism, study your history, meant five things in Christianity. Let me tell you what they are. Five things. Number one, the inerrancy of the Bible. You believed, this is early 20th century, I will believe, I believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. Number two, the literal nature of the Bible, primarily in the creation passages. If God said it, he really meant it, I believe it. Number three, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that he truly came out of the grave alive. Number four, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's what that means. Jesus died for sinners on the cross. Those are four, I said there's five. Number five, the virgin birth. Christian leaders recognized how important this is. You know why? Because the only way it happens is an absolute miracle. There is no scientific explanation. God offers none. God does not say, oh, you're not going to be sure how this really happened. Well, let me try to explain it to you. Here's what I did. No. You, the, the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary, Luke 1. No explanation. No rationalizing. No explanation scientifically. It is what it is. Now, you might say, well, yeah, Lowell, but we all believe that. This is old hat. We all believe that. Really. In 1998, a poll was done. 100 years, almost 100 years, after men and women fought to establish the five fundamentals. Almost 100 years later, a poll was done of 7,441 Protestant clergy. You know what the word clergy means? Pastors. Protestant Clergy, 7,441. That's a valid sample. And ask them, do you believe in the virgin birth? We would say the miraculous conception. In the denomination of American Lutherans, one out of five denied the virgin birth. In the denomination of the American Baptist, one out of three denied the virgin birth. Among Presbyterians, one out of two denied the virgin birth. These are clergy, folks. Among the Methodists, 60% denied the virgin birth. Listen, if you don't believe that God, through his spirit, can come and allow a woman to conceive this child Jesus. How can you claim that you believe your sins are forgiven? 
If you take away the miracle, if you, if you will not allow the miracle of what God declared, what right do you have to believe that you are redeemed? This is what Matthew 1, 18, 25 is about. It is about the miraculous conception. It is that God did a miracle. And that is where we're going to end our time today. Let me just throw out a couple of thoughts to you that what we need to realize about this. Number one is this. And I think I have a slide for this. That mankind's brokenness demands the miraculous. You and I are so broke. We are so desperate. We are so sinful. When we started our service today, I prayed about you. Did you hear me? I said, you're nothing. We are nothing but adulterers and murderers. Yeah, and you were like, what? Did you hear me pray that about us? Yeah, I did. That's how broken we are. We are absolutely broken, lost, desperate, without God. The only hope we ever had was for God to do a miracle and enter this world. You're not going to improve yourself. You're not going to find God. You're not going to seek around and somehow stumble onto him. Anybody who seeks for God on their own finds nothing but idolatry. Romans 1, read it. They will worship the created. You don't find God in some little small closet of a room. You don't find him out on the mountainside. You don't find him looking at a lake. You find idolatry then. God comes and finds you. Jesus said, no one comes unto the Father unless, unto me, unless the Father draws him. You're even responding to God is evidence of his miracle. You believing this right now. If it wasn't a miracle going on in your heart right now, you'd be sitting there thinking, you are a fool. You're a fool, oh, you believe this stuff? This message of the cross is foolishness. That's what the Bible says. That's what non-believers say about this. It is foolishness. Mm. See, it's a miracle that we even respond There's no divine spark in you. You're a dead man without Jesus. And God comes and does a miracle and wakes us up. Quickly, the other thing I need to say. One of the things this thing shows us, one of the things the incarnation shows us, the miraculous conception shows us, is that God works through the joining of the human and the divine. Look what God does. It's, it's, it's not only marvelous, it's mysterious. God takes, okay, let's just walk through several things. Stay with me, okay? The union of the divine and human. God takes, let's start with the genealogy. Son of Abraham, son of God. Human and divine. Mary, her womb, God's spirit conceives. Human and divine. Jesus, fully man, fully God, human, divine. The Bible, written by God, written by man. God always does this union thing where God and man work together. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a marvelous miracle that God allows this union to occur. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope a person has of ever, re- ever avoiding hell and being forgiven is responding to the gospel. But no man, no woman will ever respond to the gospel unless a human tells them about it. Do you hear that? 
The gospel of God saves people, but it's got to be communicated by people. God does this work. He does this miracle where he allows us to be with him. And at the most basic level, if you're a Christian today, if you are a believer, you are human with bones, skin, and flesh. And you have God's spirit in you. Wow. Indwelt by God's spirit. No spirit, no believer. If God's spirit ain't in you, you're not in Christ. See, God uses this union of the human and the divine. He does a miracle. He does a miracle and comes into our life that this union might occur. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your work, for your grace. Lord, you are so good to us, and this is where joy is. This is where our joy is. It's not in the stuff of this world, the shiny tinsel of the things that we see. It's in the fact that you came to earth, that we might be with you. Oh, God, thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, for anybody here today that needs to respond to the gospel, respond to what Jesus has offered. You have offered yourself. You came to the cross. You died there for sins. You rose victorious over death, grave, Satan, and hell that we might have relationship with you. May we respond in our heart today. Now, Lord, receive our worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.